101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. High FM. High FM. High FM. High Good to be back on your radio on this Monday morning. Uh, hope that everything is going very, very well and you had a fantastic weekend and you're ready to start the week with some good news and some good things. Uh, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, it's, it's really, really what we'd like to see, uh, in this great country of South Africa and around the world. And, uh, I'm excited that we have a good show for you uh, coming up because that's what we like to do uh, on this program is provide good shows. Uh, I had the privilege of uh, doing a couple of other shows um, this week or last week rather. So uh, it's good to also be back on your own show when you sort of know what's going on most of the time. Uh, having said that, today seems to be a little bit on the politics side uh, of things. Um and uh, we're going to be talking about politics at different levels, but hopefully sort of fairly interesting. The actual question I want to ask you uh, is, you know, I know that we have some Donald Trump fans and some Donald Trump non-fans who listen to this show. And I also saw that this week is the first Democratic Party uh, primary uh, debate. So what does that mean? Basically, all these debates around who's going to be the Democratic person who challenges Donald Trump in the elections 2020. That's less than a year, huh? a year and a bit. Uh, so the first oak up is Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders uh, is actually, at the moment, the potential front runner for the Democratic Party because what he has is something called brand name recognition. People know who he is. That's actually how Donald Trump managed to... Uh, uh, get all these different people to vote for him because people knew him from TV. And in terms of the Democratic Party, Bernie's the one that everybody knows. So, yeah, he could be the president, uh, or at least the presidential candidate for for the Democratic Party. So I have the question I have for you today, before we get into anything else. If you had a choice and you were an American, yes, and I know you're not an American, nor do you wish to be, but if you were an American and Bernie Sanders was the Democratic Party candidate, and and uh, and Donald Trump was obviously the Republican Party candidate. Who would you vote for? Because I really do think they have their pluses and minuses. And quite frankly, uh, if it was versus anybody else, I personally wouldn't vote for either of them. So the question I have for you is, if Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump is the ticket that's going to come to us in 2020, how do you vote? This is what I want to know. 061-895-1019. That's on the WhatsApp line. Uh, SMS 345 one nine, um, yeah. That, that's that's what I want to be talking about. Uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit later on about Netanyahu and his new coalition. I want your opinions as uh, the community as to some of the things that he's doing. Uh, and I've got some particularly uh, you know poignant stuff that I, I need to ask about how do we deal with uh, things that the Israelis do in our community. So uh, we'll be talking about that and uh, a little bit of Oscar news. Uh, you know, there were some people won Oscars, people uh, didn't win Oscars, some Israelis won Oscars, so we're going to be talking about the Oscars just to keep it a little bit lighter. And also, um, yeah, th- those two are, of course, we're going to be talking Bernie Trump. And then in just a second, we're going to be crossing down to UCT, because at UCT, uh, a new organization has uh, been formed. It's called Progress, 
Uh, and Progress is, is dealing with some of the issues that have been coming on at UCT in the last couple of years. You've seen a lot of burnings and a lot of protests and uh, all sorts of things. So Progress is uh, talking about these sorts of issues, but I think that they have application to all the campuses. So if you have a child at university and uh, you are worried about that, or particularly if you have one at UCT, you'll definitely want to ha- listen to what they have to say. So uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, we'll be talking to the good people at Progress. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Indeed, it is 101.9 High FM. As I said, UCT is... Uh, been a quite unstable campus in some respects in the last few years, uh, and some very interesting and different people, <laughs> to say the least, have been engaging in everything from burning paintings to throwing poo on statues. Uh, so, yeah, so we we thought we would find out who this new group is uh, and what do they stand for and what does it mean for our university students. And so we welcome onto the line Jordan Seelman. He is from organisation Progress, and he speaks to us from Cape Town now. Jordan, uh, welcome to the show. How's it, Benji? Thank you so much for having me on the show now. Uh, and and to our listeners. Yes, uh, thank you very much for making some time. Uh, I know university students uh, are, you know, very sleepy people. Uh, and so getting up early to talk to us on a Monday morning, we do appreciate it. Uh, so as I said in my introduction, Cape Town has had... Uh, some unstable politics in the last few years, uh, and I think partly in a reaction to some of this, this is why this organization Progress has been set up. Could you tell us first, what was the the starting point or the uh, the the issue that sparked the creation of this new group? So for the last several years at UCT, there's been the influence of you know identity politics, regressive ideologies, and a handful of students, um, you know, a lot, a lot of students feel marginalized by this because, you know, there's no real group that speaks up for them. You know, in the face of fees must fall, there were students that disagreed, except, you know, there was no group that was, you know, actually standing up and saying, listen, we don't agree with these students. And so essentially what Progress of Africa kind of came about, like what it's the end product of was it was a conversation amongst uh, a few a group of students to kind of say, well, you know, these are some things that we're willing to stand up about and these are things that, you know, we want to speak about. And the things we want to speak about is, you know, we stand for liberalism and, you know, at UCT we feel that, you know, liberalism, there's a steady influence of illiberal um, influence at UCT and we want to take that on. But not just only at UCT, we want to branch out into, you know, other universities and, in fact, into the wider society. Um, yeah. So I think let's unpack that a little bit, you know, um, liberalism can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, uh, and it's one of those words that gets bounced around a lot. So, in particular, when you guys say that you're liberal students, what does that actually mean? So, what we mean when we say we're liberal students, it means we you know, we believe in things like freedom of association, freedom of speech. Um, you know, we believe that abuse, like in society in general, what you believe in, like how valid your opinions are shouldn't depend on, you know, certain characteristics such as your gender or your race. Uh, your opinion is your opinion. Um, you know, we don't believe that, you know, university has the right to, you know, dictate um, what should be taught in the curriculum or not at university. Um, generally, we believe in, like, an open platform. Um, 
of, you know, for debate essentially at universities, which, you know, unfortunately, because of fees must fall, a lot of academics and students are self-censoring because they feel that if they express certain views, they'll be attacked for it, they'll be ostracized. Um, you know, academics in particular, some of them, you know, have certain opinions, but they can't say it for fear that, you know, they won't get promoted because certain people in management hold these particular views. Um, so in terms of like kind of more concrete what progress believes in, we have five guiding principles, um, which is liberty, uh, opportunity, non-racialism, non-sexism, the market economy, and the rule of law. Now, I, th- I don't know if many people know exactly, um, you know, what always is happening on, on university campuses, because we see on the TV, you know, protests or somebody throwing stuff, and they just say, well, you know, that's student politics. Students do this sort of protest uh, kind of stuff, and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a big deal, or it's just not... Uh, it's just what students do. Do you think that the protests we've seen in the last um, couple of years have been different from a qualitative perspective in terms of what people believe, what they're trying to achieve? Um, I suppose there's two questions here. One is, like, why should we care about student protests? And then your second question is, yeah, what was fundamentally different about these protests in the recent years compared to previous protest years? So I suppose, like... In my opinion, I think, you know, the country should take what's happening at universities very seriously because universities do provide, you know, the next generation of thought leaders and politicians for the country. And so, you know, what happens at university in terms of what is taught and what people, what rhetoric people say does propagate eventually to the rest of society. So, I mean, if you look at many, you know, political leaders of political parties and MPs, like 10 years ago, they were student leaders at university. Um, now, in terms of kind of, what is maybe different about uh, these protests? Like, I can't really comment on what's different because I've, I wasn't a student 10 years ago. Um, but in definitely in terms of what I can maybe say about these particular protests is that um, in terms of, you know, the Fees Must Fall movement, you know, there were, um, you can, you know, we can debate, you know, what the goals of the Fees Must Fall, whether the goals were good or not. But in terms of some of the methods, you had people who were burning buses, burning paintings, blockading buildings, throwing human feces, inside buildings, you know, abusing students, um, you know, and that was, you know, essentially condoned by the university management, at least by UCT, by the fact that, you know, virtually all the students that led these protests got amnesty or clemency and, you know, faced no repercussion. Um, And so for us, like, we look at these protests and say, well, no, we actually think, you know, these protests were not morally correct. However, you know, at the time, we were a marginalized voice, and now that we exist, we actually want to kind of, you know, stand up for, you know, the issues that we believe in. So a lot of students are often scared, I find, to say what they think on a university campus uh, because of some of the things that you've been talking about, uh, and it can be, I think, quite an intimidating place. Um, so how have you gone about actually doing this campaign where you're, uh, you know, engaging in these issues? How have you brought what you think to the public attention? Um, so the first campaign that we launched, uh, our hashtag is UCT free campaign, was a series of posters that we stuck up around the university. So some of the posters featured students with, you know, of actual students at university and talking about um, their experiences in the university as an illiberal university. So, for instance, one student was talking about how, um, you know, studying in the humanities faculty that he feels that, you know, Marxism is, you know, essentially the gospel in that faculty. And if you... If you take, you know, humanities courses, 
and you, in a tutorial, let's say, for instance, and you disagree with Marxism, you know, your classmates will, you know, disparage you, possibly even the tutors will disparage you, maybe even your lecturers who, you know, when you're given written essays over various, you know, parts of whatever course you're doing, and, you know, they even pro-capitalism or pro-liberty, you know, you could fail that assignment. Um, you know, another poster spoke to, you know, that how um, this one woman's brand of feminism does not revolve around, you know, calling all men trash. Um, but one of the posters was, for instance, you know, saying, was just a quote saying, you know, black people can be racist too, because we wanted to bring issue to the fact that, you know, at some universities, um, there's been a like a debate over what is racism, and some people posit that racism is, you know, stru- uh, you know, prejudice coupled with structural power, and, you know, they say black people don't have power, therefore black people can't be racist. And so, you know, even though the statement black people can be racist too is, you know, relatively uncontroversial at UCT, it is a controversial statement because that is kind of the dominant ideology and we wanted to go about um, challenging that. Okay, that's, uh, yeah, incredibly interesting. I want to delve into that a bit. Uh, but first, uh, we're going to take a short break and when we come back, we're going to be speaking again to Jordan Seelman from Progress UCT. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi FM. You're back with 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. You can get hold of us on WhatsApp 061-895-1019. That's the WhatsApp line. You can SMS us 34519. Tweet us at Hi FM or email us on air at com, and we will happily take, uh, Take any of your questions and comments for progress or on anything else. Uh, so, Jordan, you, you were putting up these posters um, on the campus. We're talking to uh, Jordan Siegelman from Progress, just by the way. And uh, we were just saying that they were putting up posters about different uh, issues uh, on the campus um, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, when you put on those on those posters, when you put them up rather... What was the reaction on the campus? What did people think? Um, so we did have the expected reaction where, you know, people from political organizations that are aligned to the FF and the ANC kind of, you know, denouncing our posters saying we're, you know, white right-wing nutjobs. But, you know, I think the majority of the response was actually very positive. So, for instance, there is this Facebook page called UCT Just Kidding, which is, you know, a central hub for UCT students to kind of post issues. And on the day we put up our posters, the, um, the page actually put up our posters and then asked a question about racism, you know, referring to the poster that I put about what is racism. And they put up a poll um, asking, okay, what do ordinary students think about what is the definition of racism? Is racism simply, you know, just discrimination based on, you know, race towards people of a different race than you? Or is, you know, the definition of racism... That, ra- that racial discrimination aspect, but also coupled with structural power. And, you know, most students in that poll, like a major, I think more than 70% actually said, you know, we think that racism has actually the first definition. So for us, that's very positive feedback because, you know, at UCT, you know, generally there's only one voice saying, you know, this is what racism is. And, you know, it's kind of, because there's no one really opposing it, you kind of think, well, everyone's on board. Whereas in fact, most students disagree with that. They actually agree with us. So I think just, from that on the first day was great. And our response wasn't only from students, it was also from, uh, we got a lot of emails and private messages from academics at, at the university, you know, saying that they like the work that they're doing and they actually, you know, they pointed us in the, 
they pointed us to an issue they were having, which was with the um, curriculum change framework, which that's you know currently a current campaign. So, so that overall, was actually what I wanted to come to next because I think that that is quite uh, uh, an interesting debate that's starting to happen at UCT, and for the first time, as you say. Um, is an organized voice which is starting to deal with uh, that problem, and uh, it's coming from the students, whereas before some of the other issues we saw at UCT were either coming from alumni or, or individual academics. So if, for people who might not be aware of this particular campaign, uh, tell us what is going on with the curriculum framework. Okay, cool. So in 2016, um, the previous chancellor of UC, the vice chancellor of UCT, Max Price, set up a group called the Curriculum Change Frame uh, Working Group, which their job was basically to come up with a document as to how the university could change its curriculum, um, you know, in the wake of the Fees Must Fall protest. So the work of that committee is now done. They have this document, which is on the UCT website for anyone to look and and read. Um, essentially. W- um, the issue is that uh, progress, the why we decided to take on this particular um, document as a campaign instead of any others is because for us this, camp- this document, if implemented, would be a grave danger to academic freedom at UCT. Okay. Uh, in what respect would you say that, you know, in how, how is it a threat in that respect? Okay, so... Um, we've looked at the document and we've also looked at some of the um, submissions um, made in response to the document by a few lecturers in various departments, including the philosophy department. And basically, two of the main problems that we've identified with this document is that it will basically regulate what exactly is allowed to be taught at UCT and what purpose it's taught for and how it is taught. So, for instance... um, Basically, the document says that, you know, we need to embrace uh, decolonized curriculum. Um, and kind of in the wording of the document, we basically see that it says that, well, let's say if you're a, um, an academic in the Department of Philosophy and you want to teach about Descartes, um, if, if, this poli- if this document does actually become university policy, like academics would essentially be forced to basically teach Descartes' philosophy, you know, through the lens of this through a political lens to say, well, Descartes' theory is just the theory of a white heterosexual male, and all his theories are basically just an embodiment of, you know, um, power relations in his society. Um, and so it's kind of, it's essentially dictating to academics what they're allowed to teach, but it also, the document is essentially um, a political framework to, to actually teach um, the curriculum, because the document says that everything at UCT should be taught with this particular objective of, you know, social justice, transformation, um, and a few other, like, adjectives. Um, and essentially for us, what that basically says is that UCT is not a university anymore. University, uh, the UCT will essentially just become an indoctrination center because all you're teaching there is towards, you know, a particular political ideology. And so in one of the um, submissions that was made in response to this, one of the uh, philosophy lecturers actually says, well, does, univer- does UCT want to produce graduates that are you know, skilled and employable and can actually contribute to the economy, or do we want to just create what he calls political hacks or social justice warriors? And so, you know, that's our problem that, you know, this document, if it becomes university policy, would be very problematic to, you know, academic freedom. So have you gone about dealing with this issue? Um, so there was a period where um, the university opened up feedback for this document. Unfortunately, that period has um, been closed now. 
So what we've done is we have we have created an open letter to basically talk about um, what we find problematic with this document, and at the end we put in three requests. The one request is we want the university to clarify what the status of this document is. Is this document just you know a nice point of discussion for academics, or does the university intend to make an enforceable policy? The second point is we want the university to the want the university management to affirm that it actually is committed to the principles of academic freedom. And the third thing is um, one of the issues in the document is at in certain parts of it it speaks of at length. Um, how, you know, certain academics of the wrong race, in inverted commas, shouldn't teach certain topics. So, for instance, the document, like, gives an example of saying that white lecturers should not be teaching African literature because, you know, being a white particular lecturer is incapable of understanding the document and of understanding African literature, and therefore they should not teach that. So our third request is the university affirms that it will never, that it opposes introducing color bars for lecturing at any topic at the university. And so we've put that on our website, uh, progress.org.today. Um, we basically said that if you're a student or an academic or an alumnus of the university, that if you agree with um, our open letter and if you you know feel that you identify with the issues that we have, we encourage you to sign it, which we intend to hand over to the university management to you know engage with. And what has been the reaction so far of the administration, of the vice chancellor, etc., to your petition? Um, so when we first launched Progress um, on Twitter, we have an account. We posed the question to the academic where we asked, uh, okay, you as the vice chancellor of this university, what are you doing to uphold academic freedom? Um, we were hoping that the vice chancellor would, you know, actually say, yes, like as a university, we take academic freedom very seriously. What she decided to do instead was to block us on Twitter, which, um, you know, we found quite disturbing. Um, but in terms of the actual petition itself, um, from the academics, we've had a very positive response. So within 48 hours of launching the open letter, we've had 150 signatures, including several very prominent university professors who sit on the academic council, uh, on the academic senate. Um, I saw yes, uh, we saw yesterday on Politics Web, the university did publish a response, which, you know, we as Progress, we're meeting today to discuss, you know, the document itself and how we're going to respond to it. Um, but so far, I, I think the response from the university has been quite disappointing, um, just because of the fact that they refuse to engage us when we ask them about academic freedom. Um, but we'll see how it goes. We've emailed the vice chancellor's office asking for a meeting for us to basically talk about ac- issues of academic freedom and other issues that are important to us. But so far, we haven't had any response officially other than an acknowledgement email. So there has been some uh, some support uh, for the issue, have you had any backlash from the other aggressive elements on campus? Um, well, I mean, you get the typical, like, um, what's it? You get the the typical, um, uh, what's it? So the, the response that we've had so far is, you know, that they're saying, you know, progress, we're just a front for the DA, progress, we're funded by the Koch brothers, progress, we're all just a bunch of, you know, white liberals, you know, like, you know, just want to complain about, you know, the fact that our, you know, very plush, comfy lives are being disturbed by, you know, actual issues. Um, so, I mean, the response has been typical, uh, like, from those corners. But, like, overall, I do think, you know, students have been very receptive to our ideas. That is, yeah, I think quite quite interesting. I mean, people listening to this, sometimes they, they listen to, to to what's going on on campus and they think, well, should I be sending my child there? Is is this the end of South African universities? You know, what is going on with this sort of thing? I mean, do you think that our universities are in real trouble? Would you send your kids to university at the moment? 
Well, I'd say at the moment I'd be very comfortable studying at UCT. Like I am currently a UCT student, and I think the level of education is good. However, with things such as this curriculum change document, if it was enacted at uni- as university policy, then I would have a genuine concern over you know sending someone to study at universities. But I definitely think like you know this challenge is before us, and you know I definitely think our universities are worth fighting for. So that's why we decided to you know start an organization kind of stand up for what we believe in instead of just running away. So if people want to see the document, they want to see what you guys are up to, maybe they want to start progress chapters up in other parts of the country. I don't know if you've had any interest from other uh, universities. Uh, I mean, have you, actually? Has there been interest from outside of the UCT community? Uh, yes, we've had um, quite a bit of correspondence with people outside of UCT emailing us and asking how they can get involved in progress. Um, you know, our, our long-term vision is to, you know, expand to other universities and into the wider society. We just started UCT because, you know, that's where we all happen to study and that's what we're familiar with. But we are definitely interested in, you know, expanding our movement beyond the walls of, of UCT. Um, in terms of how people outside of UCT can get involved, um, I would say the simplest thing is, you know, connect with us on social media. We have a Twitter page, we have a Facebook page. You can email us um, on our on our website, there's a link that you can you know, fill in your name and your email address so that you can you know be in touch, keep in contact with all you know that's going on. So I would say that's like the simplest way that people can actually you know get in touch with us and from there you know get involved with progress. All right, great. So what is that website and what are the the Twitter handles? Okay, so the Twitter handle is at progressrsa and the website is www.progress.org.za. Progress.org.za and uh, yeah, that's where you can find out how you can help, how you can sign on, uh, and uh, just generally get involved. So uh, yeah, thank you, Jordan Siegelman, uh, for joining us on 101.9 FM, and uh, good luck with the work that you're doing on the university campuses. Uh, thank you so much, Benji. Have a lovely day. Jordan Siegelman there from Progress. He joins us from UCT, talking to us about what is going on on the university campuses. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. Benji Shulman back here with you on the new Beauty Review. How are you doing out there? I'm happy to see some engagement on this topic, some people coming through and uh, having their say on talking to progress there. And this uh, one comes from Pumlani. Uh, he says, the professors have become destructive in, uni- in university campuses, not only in South Africa, seems to be a global trend. Political correctness is destructive. Yeah, I certainly think that we've been seeing uh, this problem in universities uh, coming through in the last few years. So I'm glad someone is sticking up uh for for this particular issue and uh you know how can uh, how can we actually you know in get involved uh uh you know with with helping them. I think it's important. Universities are important. Our universities are important. Uh yeah, that's what's going on. So I want to talk a little bit about the Oscars because you know why not uh relax. So if you are an Oscar person, uh don't listen for the next couple of minutes. Close your ears. There will be some, uh, how can I say, spoilers. Uh, there, you know, there will be, there will be stuff that we're going to be talking about. So, uh, just so you know that. Uh, Oscars this year, very interesting. I thought that there were some, uh, good stuff out there and, uh, you know, things that, uh, were, were particularly interesting. Of course, the Israelis won a, won a prize, which was quite nice. Um, they they 
they won the short film category, which was kind of cool. Uh, the movie is called Skin, uh, and Skin is about, uh, it's basically about a, a, a racial, a racial inc- incident. And, uh, the, the Israeli, uh, guy, the director who, um, who won it, he, he, Commemorated it, dedicated it to his family who had, uh, had died uh, in, in the, or survived rather the Holocaust. Um, and, and he said that, uh, the, the bigotry, uh, that surrounds us today was a motivation for him to actually get involved. So, uh, and make the film. So, uh, he, he is an Israeli. He, he married an American from, from, uh, Los Angeles or California uh, and they moved to America. And uh, he says the film is about education, about teaching your kids a better way. So uh, that's very cool that uh, he he was able to able to deal with it. And the film is about a gang war that breaks out in a small town after a black man smiles at a white child at a supermarket. Uh, so. Yeah, you know, that was that was on that side of things. Uh, some of the other Jewish. Um, Films didn't really do as well. Uh, the bi-epic RG, RBG, which was about Ruth Bader Ginsburg as the Jewish member of the Supreme Court, didn't make the win, uh, and uh, 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 lost out to a, uh, a feature about a f- guy who climbs mountains without any, um, without any, not security, <laughs> with, without any. Uh, Safety net, so that that was pretty interesting, uh, and uh, yeah, a couple of other sort of Jewish actors and ex- actresses didn't didn't get anything. But Black Klansman, which uh, was about a, a a black guy and a Jewish guy who go off to try and deal with the KKK, uh, did win. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, Green Book was the winner of the best picture. I actually went to go see it last night in advance of the Oscars. I say I'm not sure if it deserved necessarily the best film. Uh, of the of the night, uh, but it was a sweet film about uh, two men's friendship dealing with the deep south back in the day, uh, and definitely I think worth watching. So uh, yeah, pretty pretty good. Uh, nice to see the Israelis doing well, the Jews doing well. Uh, lots of like racial stuff going on in Hollywood clearly at the moment. That's what they're worried about, which is interesting given our uh, UCT discussion. But certainly. Uh, you know, there it is. So that was the Oscars. Uh, I'm hoping to get to see a couple of others. I'd love to know what you think. 061-895-1019-34519. That's the SMS line. By the way, uh, if you, uh, were, were looking at our poll, uh, Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump, who would you vote for? That's what I want to know. 061-895-1019. So yeah, that's, uh, that's quite important. But also what's quite important, is that it's Pesach, as you might know, and the and it's coming up. And the iconic, well-loved President Hotel in Winfrey Bantry Bay invites you to a glut kosher true Yom Tov Pesach experience with fabulous catering by Avron. Uh, they're going to be delivering the highest level of kashrut with strict rabbinical supervision from Rabbi Sean Cannon, which is under the auspices of the Cape Town Beth Din. And you can enjoy the President Hotel's magnificent spacious rooms, exceptional personal service, children's program, and much more. In between, you can explore the magic of Cape Town on Cholomoyed, which is another fantastic bonus feature. Uh, so if you're interested, email Pesach at President Hotel. Dot co dot za. And if you use the booking code LD, 
then you're going to get a complimentary welcome hamper of wine, dried fruit, and chocolates. So that is a great deal. Have a look at that. Uh, go check out Pesach at the at presidenthotel.co.za. We're going to take a, a short break and some music, uh, and then uh, yeah, when we come back, we'll be talking a little bit more about some global politics. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. Now, just before the end of the program, uh, we're not going to really get a discussion on point on this, but I do think it's quite uh, an interesting uh, situation that's developing now with the Israeli elections. We spoke a little bit about it last week. In effect, what's happened is that on the right side of the spectrum, to the right of Netanyahu's Likud party, there is a a bit of a dearth of potential political parties, because uh, in Israel, if you don't get a certain number of votes, you don't get into the Knesset, even if a whole bunch of people voted for you. And this has meant that there's a bunch of little small right-wing parties, and uh, a bunch of people are going to vote for them, and then uh, and then they might actually fall through the cracks. So what did Netanyahu do? He went to one of the parties, by Yehudit uh, by UD, uh, and another one, uh, which was a sort of very right-wing party from the um, basically a former Kohanist party, uh, and, and he said to them, look guys, you guys need to get together and, and, fo- and, and do a coalition so that all the people who are voting for both of you will then, uh, you know, get together and actually, uh, you know, uh, have enough votes to, to, to get into the election. And then if you do that, then I'll give, uh, some of the seats, uh, that I get and, and, and some of the parts on my list to you. And, What's been interesting about this is that the American Jewish Committee, as well as APAC, who, who funds a lot of uh, money in terms of Israeli elections, uh, American elections, uh, and a lot of support for Israel in American elections, and they said, guys, this is not acceptable. Uh, you can't actually uh, do this kind of thing because the, the one party is, they say, a racist party, and and therefore, you know, you you can't be allowing them into the coalition just for expediency's sake. And, uh, you know, I, I really think this is going to be an interesting discussion because, you know, APAC brings a lot of money, a lot of support for Israel. Uh, because of the work that they do, uh, they're able to motivate the American Congress to give a lot of money to the Israelis. Um, but they're not Israeli. So the question is how much uh, does – how much say should a group like APAC have – uh, and should they be allowed to speak out against the Israeli government uh, or stuff that Netanyahu does in the run-up to an election because of how they think it might hurt Israel's interests or their own interests? And, uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting question. We don't really have time to uh, explore it today because we actually have come to the end of the show. But I do uh, think it's something worth talking about, and hopefully we'll get to speak a bit more about this as we head up to the Israeli election. So, yeah, uh, just something for you to think about because it's going to become a bigger deal. Thank you to everyone for helping out with the show today. To Mandy, to Lindiwe, uh, and to Vusi who helped out with the production and the sound. Uh, to Craig who pushes all the big red buttons. Uh, and to you for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I'm looking forward to chatting again next week on the New Blue Review. <laughs>